in connection with the Lord's Supper and the proclamation that we will make there, proclaiming the Lord's death. Chosen as text for this afternoon, Romans 8, verse 31. And our reading will be verses 28 through 39. These words, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then what we will concentrate on is the question of verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And after the sermon, we will sing the hymn that is based on this passage, hymn 35, the stanzas 1 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't the celebration of this day, this Lord's Day, thrill your soul and fill your heart with joy? That's a question calling you to respond with a personal, faith-based, deep-seated, and wholehearted yes. Oh, for sure, you are not alone if you get nervous and uptight about getting through the doors of the church building. Even retired ministers are sometimes afflicted with that. Sundays can be a hard day for many. For the self-conscious, the introvert, the lonely, the widowed, 
or those struggling with depression and anxiety. And yet, we come because this is the day the Lord has made. We come because this day is not about me or how people respond or interact with me. We come to worship Jesus, the resurrected and exalted Lord. The songs we sing today, the preaching, the celebration of the Lord's Supper encourage us to keep looking to Jesus and to find rest for our souls in Him. Oh, what grace, what kindness, what joy, what a Savior, what a loving Heavenly Father. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? This afternoon we come. We come to celebrate with all our burdens, baggage, foibles, and quirks. And if any one of the children were to ask you, why do you come? And why do you go to the front to pick up that little piece of bread and to drink out of that little cup? Isn't that just another setup for getting anxious and nervous? And I'm sure you will have your answer ready. You will tell them that you do this to remember that Christ's precious blood was poured out for the complete forgiveness of your sins and the sins of all other believers. How true and how awesome. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. But we should say more, shouldn't we? Yes, Christ died to free me from the slavery of sin, but that's not where it ends. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us and preparing for us a place so that one day we can be present at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So the Lord's Supper not only looks back and assures us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because He died for your sins, but there is no separation as well now and into the future. And every time we take hold of the bread and the wine, we can say it to the person sitting next to us, there's no condemnation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing and no one. Are you coming to see what a grand day the Lord's Day really is? Behold what manner of love. Indeed, we behold the breathtaking beauty and kindness of the Lord Jesus in the house of the Lord. And there's no reason to doubt or to be anxious. For Christ places your and my faith and our trust on a rock-solid foundation. The tremendous hope and unshakable security I have in Christ is on full display right here every Lord's Day. 
It is visible at every celebration of the Lord's Supper, and that should fill my heart with wonderment. No matter how out of control my life feels and how wretched I am, the Lord Jesus is my anchor. And even if all my securities come crashing down and everything would be taken from me, my confidence remains firm in Him. Well, as we think on the significance of celebrating the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day, it's appropriate for us to take things to the next step and ask with the Apostle Paul, what then shall we say to these things? In the verses surrounding Romans 8, verse 31, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, holds before us the many implications and applications that flow forth from knowing and believing in Jesus, who died, was raised, and who is seated at the right hand of the Father. What shall we say in response to this? And the first thing is to say what we know. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. It's verse 28. And we can know this because in what God did by sending His Son, we have come to realize how the Lord, in His love, is fulfilling His eternal counsel, purpose, and plan. So our first response to celebrating the death of Christ at the Lord's Supper and to what we celebrate every Lord's Day with the resurrection is to confess what we know. In this, God was working for my good according to His purpose. Christ is raised to glory and in Him I know that I too will be raised to enjoy forever the glory of being in the presence of the Lord. And as we say what we know regarding the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection, we also need to say we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. That's verse 18 of chapter 8. Various trials come upon us in this life. God does not spare us hardships or tears or sorrow. But we are not under the hand of a condemning judge, but in the hand of a loving Father who gave up His Son for us all so that the sting might be taken out of life by Christ's victory over sin, disease, and death. Oh, what an impact this should have on my whole life. As a child of God, moved by the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, I believe that whatever I lose or lack in this life because of my love and my devotion to the Lord Jesus will work for my good. I must be willing to suffer quietly abuse for Christ's sake without becoming resentful or bitter or miserable or rebellious or defiant. 
a response to what I know is at the heart of every Lord's Supper celebration. I am brought to my knees with a glorious confession. My heavenly Father is absolutely sovereign and completely unstoppable in the fulfillment of His purposes. We proclaim the Lord's death. And in this we proclaim God did not spare His Son for our good. And so when I take the bread and the wine and think deeply about what Christ endured for me, suffered for me, and how all this suffering is not worth comparing to the glory He receives and we receive by being in Him, then there should be times when the answer to the question, what then shall we say in response to this, is very little. For my words cannot fully capture a true response. Overwhelmed by my own sins and at the same time deeply grateful that Christ does not look at me with disapproval, I weep and I marvel with eyes blurry with tears of sorrow and joy, I say, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain, for me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? And when you believe what the Lord Jesus did for you, as signed and sealed at the Lord's Supper, you will be radically transformed. Because you know that Christ's work indicates God is for you. And that's the third thing you will say in response to these things. The first is, we know that in all things God is working for for good according to his purpose. The second is that the sufferings of this present time that have come upon us because of sin and its results are not worth comparing to the glory he has in store for us. And the third thing we will say in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, raised from the dead, and seated in glory, is this. God is for us. All the glorious benefits of the work of Christ demonstrate unambiguously how God is for us. The cross of Christ allows me to stand firm in the confidence that the Lord is for me and so I can partake in the celebration of His death at the Lord's Supper. I know that God is for me because he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And as a member of Christ's flock, I gain assurance when my gaze is fixed on the cross of Calvary, and I learn to understand that my Savior was delivered up to death for my sake. 
by the very act of not sparing his own son, but delivering up for us all, the Lord declares, I love you infinitely, and I will stop at nothing in bringing you to my final glory. What then shall we say in response to these things? Can we remain untouched and unmoved? No. Don't let it be that way. But say with unspeakable joy those precious words, if God is for us, who can be against us? And no, Paul is not suggesting all problems just disappear into thin air for believers because they believe in Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Indwelling sins remain a powerful adversary. Death is an enemy that has been defeated but not yet destroyed. Yet when God is for you, then you can be sure that there is nothing and no one who can successfully stand against you because you are justified and glorified in Christ. This is the Lord's Day. And it is our privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper this afternoon. What then shall we say in response to these things? The first thing we say is we know that in all things God works for good. The second thing we say is the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And the third thing we say is God is for us. And now the fourth. In Christ we are given all things. And notice the comparison between being made between the greater and the lesser the harder and the easier in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Since the Lord has done the harder thing, giving his son for us all, would he not do the easier thing and give us all things with Christ? To give us all things in Christ, the Lord first gave up his son to death. To give up his one and only son to die for the safety and the well-being of the adopted children was at the same time the most heart-wrenching act a father could ever do and the highest conceivable act of love. He delivered over his one and only son to be betrayed, abandoned, mocked, scorned, beaten, lied about, nailed to a cross, so that we, in the risen Christ, should receive all things. So if you want to understand how to respond to the gospel of salvation in Christ, you need to know that God is a God who lost his son for you. The father gave him up, 
delivered him up for us all, regardless of our past or how terrible our sins may be and how serious the charges are that could be made against us. The Father gave him without reservation so that every heavenly blessing might be channeled to us. He opened all the reservoirs of grace so that all who believe in him might enjoy all things freely and fully. Today is the Lord's day. What shall I say in response? Well, the fifth thing echoes the words of the Apostle Paul. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You see, as a result of the resurrection of Christ, my status before God has changed. The gospel of the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is sufficient to silence all opposition, but all, also all accusations and charges made against you and me. And plenty of charges can be laid against God's people. Some of them legitimate and others not. Our consciences are often tender and sensitive to this. And this is why our joy flickers on and off so quickly. And we can chastise ourselves for our lack of zeal. And there can be a guilt for sins done in the past. We sense our guilt and feel ourselves failures as Christians. Oh, we know how our hearts condemn us. And that is why we have become accustomed to covering our sinfulness by presenting ourselves to others to be something other than what we are. Brothers and sisters, what shall we say in response to this? It may cause us to doubt and to question. How can I stand before the Lord in the day of His judgment? How can I stand before the holiness of God with works polluted in their very source, to use the words of Martin Luther. And Satan makes mileage of our mistakes and highlights every sin and fault. At first, he may tell us that if we carry out our sinful intentions, there will be no harmful consequences. But when we foolishly follow his advice... And the advice of our own sinful hearts, he comes again and tells us it matters a great deal. He says, what in the world are you doing coming into the holy presence of God and to the Lord's Supper? Your garments are filthy, your hands are dirty, and your heart is not pure. There are times in life when it appears all hell has broken loose. Past sins are waved in front of us. My guilt points a condemning finger in my face and makes me miserable. So that I begin to wonder, how can I ever be a child of God? What do I have left to say in response to this? Yet even in your darkest hour, 
never let go of this truth. In Christ, you are justified, declared innocent, and that verdict stands because it is God who justifies in Christ the resurrected. The Lord God who raised Jesus from the dead is greater than our hearts, our consciences, Satan, or any sin that accuses us. The work, suffering, and death of Christ made it possible that all the charges which could rightly be laid at our doorstep have been dropped. God does not hold any of our sins against us, which means our view of both present and future is changed. The day of judgment is now not something to be feared. Oh, outside of faith in Jesus Christ, every person is a guilty sinner. On the day of judgment, all of humanity will be called to sit in the defendant's seat, the seat of the accused. And the Lord Jesus will be the judge. And outside of Christ, the accused sinner has no defense. But the situation is vastly different for those who are in Christ Jesus. The forgiven sinner need not fear judgment. Jesus Christ was condemned in our place. And if accusations are made against us, we need not fear for the charges are silenced by the, the once pierced and ever blessing hands of our intercessor. Oh, what bliss. Can the message of the gospel get any better than this? Well, come forward then in faith and take the bread and the wine in the assurance that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and no separation from the love of God. The very God who could have condemned me has brought about my salvation. Who can accuse or condemn me and make those charges stand up before the living God when my life is in Jesus. No one. What we have been reflecting on this afternoon should fill our hearts with gladness and joy. I can inhale the balmy, fresh air of freedom, having stepped out of the dungeon and prison of sin. And as I stand there, I realize I'm not alone. Fellow believers have been released with me and share the same assurance. So what I celebrate will also shape what I say and how I think about my neighbor. Knowing the mercy of God whereby the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has dropped all the charges against me, I must count others better than myself. And knowing the love of God who did not spare His Son but gave Him up for us all, 
and overwhelmed by the kindness of Jesus, how can I be accusatory, condemning, censorious, and lacking in humility? Instead, let us encourage each other to live out of what we have in Christ. What then shall we say in response to these things? It really is endless, isn't it? Amen.